0: okay father kenneth kenna wayne how are you today i'm well good to see you glad to be here it's great great to see you you're looking good looking Mm -hmm. lively on this mlk (laughs) memorial feeling better good man i'm really glad to hear it i know you had a, a stretch last year that was really difficult
1: it was difficult not necessarily as difficult as everything you've been going through, but, you know,
0: hard. I think but the scripture better. forbids us comparing our grievances. Yeah, although, I know. For sure. That's the heart of friendship sometimes. <laughs> comparing who's hurting worse at any given moment. But, yeah, I mean, my heart went out to you. And I I love to see that you're doing better, man. A little bit of grace, a lot of work. But, yeah, we're doing better. Yeah, man. Good. Well, we thank got sunshine
1: for... today for the first time, and you know, I mean, it's crazy. I mean, we've been going for a month up here without sunshine.
0: So. Yeah, well, you know, I always say too much sunshine depresses me,
1: but I do like <laughs> a little every now and then. I am totally. See, I think that the kingdom of heaven is a polarized existence, right? Mm-hmm. So, I mean, you can't even see all the colors with you know when it's too bright. So, come on, uh, now. I am definitely an overcast, blustery you know autumnal Like that's the kingdom of heaven right is uh you know 60 degrees uh overcast um
0: little wind you know <laughs> everyone is thinking Ball these color. two deserve each other these two deserve <laughs> <each> other. <laughs> so job. i want to talk to you a little bit about about priesthood and mm. your story when i think of you Father ken i think of I think of priestly presence mm. in, in the best sense. And I know for some people that's if not triggering, it's at least off putting to talk yeah. about so we'll get to that. Um, I hope in this in this conversation. But why don't you why don't you start by telling us a little bit of your story? I know it, but lots of folks don't. So yeah. start where you want to start and tell us how you came to be the priest you are now. Well, I grew up in a Southern Pentecostal
1: family. Both my mother's family and my father's family were multi-generational Pentecostals Mm -hmm. coming out of East Tennessee, Southern Alabama, uh, the coastal areas of South Carolina and Georgia and Florida. And um, I was raised by uh, people who were um, old school Pentecostals and I really um other than their belief that the end of the world was eminent at any moment and that we might be raptured, I was raised with a very beautiful faith, you mm-hmm. know. Um, yeah. and um amongst people who were poor, it was my grandparents. My 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 mother's father was a minister in the church of God and uh you know he ministered church to church and you know they kept him in and they kept him in almost a state of poverty you know and uh they were poor (laughs) but they were people of prayer you know very intensely um read the scriptures knew the scriptures um felt it was important for their grandchildren to know the scriptures um and to see them pray if we you know were asked to you know necessarily join in their prayers um and uh, my parents were products of those households, and and uh, so my father was killed in Vietnam, and my mother was widowed um, for about. And how five old years. were you
0: Ken, when that? I was
1: five when yeah. that happened. Yeah, and it, you know, just short of my birthday. And uh, uh, remember him well. Um, he's a beautiful. He had an amazing voice. Um, was uh, recruited by the Blackwood Brothers and so forth, mm-hmm. but uh, his mother wouldn't let him. Uh, leave home when he was 18 and do the, you know, the uh, uh, Jerry Lee Lewis thing, yeah. but uh, um, Elvis thing, but he, you know, um, gospel hymns, you know, what I like to call 19th century blood hymns, you know, mm-hmm. um, and, uh, you know, uh, my grandmother on my father's side was really an instrumental person in my life. um uh, and she was the one who when there were excessive events in church you know of the pentecostal variety would say "You right. know that that's not the spirit that's what she always whispered mm. you know she had her mints in her gum and you know she would give me that in the pew and things but she would all lean into me and say that's not the spirit kind of yeah you know? so right. you know that's the uh, flesh that's the yeah flesh. yeah that's yeah, the flesh or something you know but anyway, um, when my mother remarried, she married a, a young younger man who was a youth pastor
0: in the Church of God and um and for those was, who don't know those who don't know, the Church of God is you know East Tennessee Pentecostal denomination. I mean it's more than in East Tennessee, but it's seated there in East Tennessee. Yeah. so it's a very distinct flavor of yeah old school Pentecostal.
1: Yeah, and I, you know, you know, my grand, my grandparents' generation were much more holiness oriented, and my mm-hmm. mother was raised not very, you know, you know. I always thought it was like, you know, no makeup, no, you know, uh, no jewelry, this kind of thing. But it was also like, I, as I got older, I learned, you know, they didn't go to public sporting events, they didn't go to theaters, you know, um, and and these kind of things, you know, the things you would expect, like no, <laughs> no alcohol and this kind of stuff. Right. Uh, no dancing, but, you know, it was a fairly regulated sort of external thing. But there was great joy and beauty and fervency and, uh, you know, personal relationship with Christ, um, you know, um, and, and there's so much good. Um, and as I get older, I, you know, I, I really there's much, much, much that I appreciate about appreciate about it. But my my stepfather um, was a very talented as a preacher and gatherer. He was gathering youth groups in the churches that he was going to that were larger than the you know than <laughs> yep. the main congregation, and this was right. causing problems. <laughs> his personality and his his yep. charisma was causing personality was causing conflict with senior pastors from the congregation that he would pastor, mm. and uh, so he ended up in the charismatic movement and and you know so from my middle school and high school years and uh you know we were he, he finally we moved to California and and I was encountering in that area in the late 70s and early 80s a lot of strange teachings you know mm. and my father was into lots of things I mean we read some cool things like Kazakh and
0: yeah yeah you know, yeah, yeah, yeah
1: in some ways like Watchman Nee is interesting and so forth he was into like smith wigglesworth and different people that were interesting for, ver- for for various reasons but also a lot of strange you know things okay. and i mean things that he came to eventually realize you know were strange but by the time i ended up at or roberts university i went for a year to the assemblies of god college in california southern california
0: oh and i didn't know that
1: yeah i went to uh what was at the time southern california college it's called vanguard university you yep. know?
0: But you went with, with
1: Ed, Ed, Edward Barchek, was um, yeah, yeah, uh, yeah was a yeah. senior or junior. Ended up marrying Dennis McNutt's daughter, uh, who mm-hmm. was a major mentor for me when I was there. And, um, uh, anyway, um, and then I went to RU, which is where I met my wife. And, um, you know, I was studying English um, and political science, and I had tremendous mentors there. I think the thing that people don't understand about R. Roberts is when it was founded in the late 60s. I mean, I think the planning stages for it were in the early 60s, but by the when they started it, um, you know, he, you know, I'm going to start the first worldwide inter, you know, international charismatic university. And so, you know, the charismatic movement had taken place in Catholicism, Lutheranism, the Methodist Church, even you know, some Baptist churches, of course, you know, evangelical churches. And uh and so when he made this announcement, you know, really good people from Brown and Missouri and other places left tenured positions to come join the faculty. So the faculty were really amazing. Yep. Um, Even though the cultural and spiritual life of the school was strange, you know, really, really strange and getting stranger, you know, by the time I arrived in the mid eighties, a lot of word of faith type of stuff, you know, but th- uh, this uh, major disconnect between um, what's happening in the world and what, you know, what's happening in the realm we might call church land or whatever. And uh, it all came to a head for me because I was having serious doubts. I mean, one of the reasons I ended up at Oral Roberts is, you know, my parents didn't like what I was hearing from uh, my, my somebody's of God, former missionaries to South America and Central America professors that I had <laughs> At Southern California College, there was a little too much
0: yeah. <laughs> uh,
1: things they 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 were uncomfortable with that I was coming home with and mm-hmm. books that they didn't like that I was reading. So they were like, you're going to Oral Roberts with your sister. <laughs> yep. So we're January, my, my second year there in January of uh, 1986, um, the shuttle Challenger exploded. Um, all of us had seen it on TV. Um, and uh, we gathered for... Um, for worship you know we had these mandatory chapel services that we went to uh and they had great music and so of course you know um television school art school music school um and uh, the pastor of the students got up and said hey look you know we've had this tragedy you know um and uh it's horrible but we're going to leave that outside the walls of the service because we're here to praise mm. god
0: mm.
1: and they launched into a hootenanny you know <laughs> and uh which is a
0: liturgical some, term for those uh, who don't know this is a about, you term.
1: know i mean with the guitars and drums and the singers and they're you know everybody's clapping their hands and raising their hands and stuff <laughs> you know and and i'm you know here i am you know 19 going on 20 you know and i'm thinking i can't do this i, I mean there's this really horrific thing that's happened We're we're just going to leave it outside, you know, the walls. And I sat. I mean, I sat down. I don't remember many times that I sat down in or you chapel, but I <laughs> sat down and I was just like, hmm. um, you know, whatever was going through my 19 year old head, I, you know, wasn't into this, you know? And yeah. uh, I, I knew, I knew there was something fake about it and I didn't like it. I didn't like, I knew I didn't like that this thing had happened and we were ignoring it yeah. in the house of God. Yeah. that, That didn't sit right with me Mm -hmm. in the same chapel service which typically the speakers in the chapel service were people that had been on the richard roberts television show in other words charismatic celebrities of one form or another who were going to give you their take on you know uh, living the successful christian life yeah Um, but a member of the theological faculty spoke the only time i remember a member of theological Mm -hmm. faculty Mm speaking a historian a pentecostal historian I uh, wrote a book uh, called From the Pinnacle of the Temple, and um, his wife had had died of, uh, he, he got into the pulpit and he said, I want to talk to you today about how um, recently my wife died of cancer mm. and my experiences through that and our experience that through her suffering and pain, um, we were participating in the sufferings of Christ. And what we came to experience differently, my wife has experienced differently than I am, but that Christ was suffering with us in that. Hmm. Um, Charles Ferris, Charles Ferris, yeah. scholar, yeah. and um, and I was like, "Ooh, there's something in me." that was like, oh, "Wait a minute! Now that's hmm. interesting to me." Hmm. Hmm. Because here we are in church talking about suffering and how we, our sufferings can participate in the sufferings of God and God participates in our suffering. That's interesting. I want to know, I remember thinking, I want to know more about that. And I didn't go consciously looking for things, Mm -hmm. but there was a guy named James, James Shelton, who was teaching New Testament at Earl Roberts Mm -hmm. has continued to be a friend over the years and uh never took any class which um because i was an english major you know. but um he i didn't know this until years later we were talking but he had he had ordered some books and and put them in the you know in the in the bookstore which i worked in at how uh one called evangelicals not enough by tom howard another one called evangelicals on the canterbury trail and i and another book called mm-hmm. um um the, the pete, pete gilquist book um about um oh yeah, the, yeah about yeah, yeah. that the, about the campus crusade for christ yeah, yeah, people yeah. that um that entered orthodoxy yes. and i got all three of those books and read them now i read tom's book first and you know the first chapter is you know i grew up in this church you know we we sang these blood hymns we read this we memorized scriptures we had sword drills we we uh you know flannel graph sunday school lessons and i you know even as a pentecostal there was a lot of commonality right? And his experience and mine, except for, yep. you know, speaking in tongues and, and this kind of thing. And I was like, yep, yep, yep. I know this is, you know, this is my world. And, uh, and then the second chapter, he said, then I, you know, I, I was doing all these things and I encountered Irenaeus and he starts talking about recapitulation and how God comes back, not just to save souls, but to save the creation that, you know, he's, he's interested in, and redeem, not destroying the world, but redeeming the world and reclaiming the world. Um, how his baptism reclaims the waters, and you know yeah. his feet everywhere he's feet step has become made hollow, because God had created the world good. <laughs> and then I was like, "Oh, what? Wait, wait, wait! <laughs> God created stretch, right? <laughs> it's, it. It's good, and He doesn't want to destroy it. Like,
0: what the yeah?
1: <laughs> and and that He entered into, um." You know he'd become human and 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 suffered with us. And for whatever reason, both in my Pentecostal experience and in the certainly in the certainly in the charismatic experiences, these things weren't taught. you know they're just part of the Christian tradition. it was like, oh, there's other Christians and they have other they have different views and they're you know they, they've they've been around for a long time. and uh, so it was this massive discovery um and the deeper i got into it the deeper i saw the person of jesus especially as i read um the orthodox christian there were things about jesus that i just had not been told you know and and uh, so i hung on to the things that i had been told about jesus um in my pentecostal um uh, upbringing and especially my experience of jesus in elderly pentecosts including my grandparents and their faith. And their mm. trust and resurrection and their prayer, um, and and even in the ways that they took care of the poor and took care of their neighbors and, and different things. But also I began to see, oh, there's other things. He's he's not just human for a moment, he's always, you know, he's he he takes on humanity forever, you know, and 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 that he's not just that he's not just a little bit God, he is the God, you know? And, and um, so the person of Jesus just became, you know, yeah. larger and larger for me. Mm. Um, and I began to discover the Eucharist at, or you, I discovered they had a, they had what they called a Vesper service that Bob Stamps had started there mm. and was still going mostly, right. you know, Catholic and Lutheran and, you know, Eucharistic students, which were half the student body at the time I was there.
0: Right. Yeah. That's another thing people don't realize about ORU, not only the kind of flooding of expert and like highly qualified and highly skilled, wildly charismatic faculty, right. Right, which created right. a, a particular kind of ferment that lasted. I mean, it was still alive when I was there as as a D Men student and then as as one of the faculty. Yeah. But also the ways in which for a long time, I mean for a good chunk of time, a lot of their students were from liturgical traditions that were 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 coming from the larger charismatic renewal yeah to a to this university precisely because it was serving the charismatic renewal, not it's simply word of faith movement, which is a much narrower yeah and yeah. less and the more that took of,
1: over, the more the student body became kind of independent charismatic congregations were the main that's the students were coming from independent charismatic congregations that was 90s, you know, turn of the century, you know, um ORU. But when I was still there, when I was there in the mid-80s, there was still, you know, a strong contingent of Catholic mm-hmm. and um, you know, mainline Protestant, charismatic yeah. students. Yeah. And it was a wonderful time, other than, you know, some some you know. The kind of things that are, you know, it's boring now to talk about that, you know, like you couldn't dance
0: and, you know. Oh, no, no sure. Absolutely. Well, let me ask you, let me ask you this question. So I I think at least the way I'm hearing it, that that chapel where Dr. Ferris spoke, the context being the explosion of the challenger. Do you think of that now as kind of your first call toward priesthood? Like that no, first note? Or how, how no. would you, what would you say? No, think?
1: I think that's been there for a lot longer. Okay yeah, didn't, that's what I I didn't, I didn't see it I didn't understand it. Mm-hmm. I was drawn to the person of Jesus from a very early age. And I was also drawn to read as much as as I could, you know. Mm-hmm. And and that was my grandma. I mean she would sit down and read all books to me. Yeah. You know, as a as a, you know, as a grade school student. Yeah. Um, and I had these wonderful black teachers. Um uh, first, second, third grade. I've written about this. Um yeah first, second, third grade, female black teachers who taught me a deep love of language and reading and the librarian who was just off some from some other planet in terms of her literary uh, mm-hmm. understanding and just had me reading wonderful books and teaching me the value of language because it was language was tremendously valuable to them. Yeah, Um, And so I had all these mentors and I read and read and read and I was, you know, it, <laughs> when I was I mean I was reading a lot of Francis Schaeffer cuz you know that I mean you know in different as was everyone else at the time you know I mean as a teenager I was reading um you know and then of course you know he you know he's you know he reads Bart in a different way right he reads um you know he reads different you know he reads people that I now highly highly respect in very critical you know sort of defensive ways um but I never really none of that really took I was just interested in our faith, you sure. know, and and saying it. So that was going on. when I was in, when I started getting into college, I was reading a lot of Beekner. You know, I got I, somehow I got a hold of Beekner in my freshman year, and I just, I just kept reading and reading and reading him. In fact, I started corresponding with him when I was at ORU. And um, oh wow, I didn't know it that. It wasn't. Either. It wasn't until and we had long phone conversations. It was interesting, mm. but I, um, I. uh it wasn't until I thought, you know, I'm going to go work at a newspaper and write. I was taking journalism classes, photography classes, and, um, you know, had a profound interest in literature. I was reading a lot. I was thinking I'll be a short story writer and journalist and so forth. And uh, and so we got married uh, pretty young. I mean, we got married at 22 and uh, after school and we're living in California and, uh, started having children immediately. And so I, I went to actually, I took my writing skills. I started out in newspapers and I went into, uh, writing for corporations. So I was, I was a NASDAQ listed pharmaceutical company, um, Ooh. as their, as their, um, uh, investor relations a, a direct report to the president of the company. And I did a lot of technical and, and business writing, you know, Ooh. and, uh, so I worked for a couple of companies like that where I was doing communications for them, yeah. You know? mm-hmm. um, and you know, I, I'm a good—I mean, the writing
0: opens doors, you yeah. know, for you. And I during know. that during that time, where are you attending church? I mean, what's your religious? So I get out of right? I get out of school, I went right back to my dad's church.
1: Mm-hmm. Um, and which you know, at this, this point
0: is is already liturgical yes it's not yet when i get back
1: it's bad well that's part of the story too Mm -hmm. is i get back and dad has been reading lewis and the my my years away at school Mm -hmm. and he has been reading like he picked up joffrey bromley's article Mm -hmm. on baptism okay and as a charismatic he went and got a bucket of water and started baptizing all the children <laughs> in the church. I, you know, I read this article by this Dude. professor from Fuller said children should be baptized, and that's what we're going to do. Sure. And he started wearing a collar. He was a really interesting person.
0: Yes, for and
1: sure. uh, so he was reading David and became friends with David. I'm mm. um, familiar with him. Um, oh and, no, yeah, uh, yeah. And um, David would come down. He was living in Placerville um and uh so dad was kind of like he started wearing a liturgical collar you know and he was going to all these prophetic conferences and stuff and people were like who are you what is this what's going on you right. know and um uh we started having some kind of conferences and stuff but when i arrived i said you know hey dad while i've been away i've been reading these books i gave him tom howard's book i gave him bob weber's book i gave him pete goquist's book you know and he starts reading was hey Kenneth, this is really this is mm-hmm. like and he was reading he had already read Schmemann for Life of the World right because he was wow. like he was reading Farrar, like he would read Lewis and he would see well, he's quoting Ferrar, right and he's and and he, and then he was reading other people and Chilton's quoting Schmemann. so he's like, oh I got to read Schmemann, right So there was all this work that it was happening in him, even though he was culturally very charismatic pastor. yeah yeah. and a prophetic sort of oriented Mm -hmm. charismatic pastor um and uh and so he got home we started reading these books together and he was like you know let's go to the episcopal church to the early service before we go to our church because he was interested and you know and so we started doing that and and Father Sandy at the Episcopal Church there in Laguna Hills. And and uh started learning a lot from Father Sandy. And anyway, it's, at some point, uh dad decided we're just gonna be a prayer book charismatics. <laughs> and we got the book of common prayer, yeah. and we started ordering our services as charismatics according to that liturgy, and he took years mm-hmm. teaching the congregation. This is why we're gonna pray, set prayers. Instead of, you know, we'll, you know have extemporaneous prayer, but we're also going to pray these old prayers and yeah. explain why. And we're going to baptize kids. And this is why we're doing it. And we're going to celebrate Eucharist every Sunday. And this is why we're doing it. And we're going to wear these vestments. And this is why we're doing it. And he was very patient. And, and you know, it was a congregation of three to five hundred, depending on Sunday. And where is it um, again? Remind in, me where in is? Southern California. Southern California. Yeah. yeah. And, you know, and, and people were drawn to all that and as he taught it wisely and took time you know people nobody he he didn't really lose families maybe a few you know these charismatics and so my dad was kind of networked with some churches in Arizona and Los Angeles and some other places and you know those congregations started to you know worship in that same way with the prayer book. We didn't really know what we were doing, you know, <laughs> but we were, you know, we were reading and, and it, it, in the meantime, I'd gotten close to Bob Weber. We started, we were talking a lot and he was like, have you read Tom Odin? And I was like, no, he says, well, you got to stop, drop everything you're doing and start sure. reading Tom. Yeah. And that's when I, I started reading Tom. And then I was so impressed with him that I, we got into a relationship and connection And uh, he was just really fascinated This Pentecostal kid. He went to ORU, was reading him at all and interested in what he was doing. Um, And uh, so um, what ended up happening was Paul Thigpen, and I don't know how interested people are in all this kind of stuff, but a guy named Paul Thigpen, um, who was at Ministries Today, working for Jamie Buckingham, a reporter, had heard about what we were doing. And wanted to come interview us. And he liked what the guys in Galena, um, California, which was Jack Sparks and John Braun and P- Pete Goldquist and the guys who had gone to Orthodoxy. And he was like, hey, do you think you could get me some time with those guys? Because I was going up to Santa Barbara and spending time with them too. Because we mm-hmm. were, our congregation was thinking about becoming Orthodox. Okay, you know? So there were those kind of conversations going on. And so Paul came out and did this article the same time, we're, you know, we're, we're, uh, he does this article and he comes out, interviews me. I take him up to Santa Barbara. He interviews those guys and then he leaves. Well, Jamie Buckingham dies and the article doesn't come out for a year because his daughter takes over and, you know, who knows what happens, shuffle around. But the article appears at the end of '92 mm. and the phone just rang off the hook for months. Congregations in Massachusetts, Texas, Kansas, you know you name it michigan this is happening in our church we started we're charismatic we're third wave evangelical we're wesleyan we started using the prayer but we started you know saying set prayers we started having weekly eucharist and started wow. baptizing children and we're like and 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 when <laughs> there's been a lot of a lot of rough waters from that moment right. until now that's 30 years ago yeah And when I, in my moments, I've said, why are we doing this? What's going on? Why didn't I just become Orthodox? (laughs) I've had these questions. (laughs) It's that moment that I realized there was something well beyond anything we orchestrated going on, that this happened in all these congregations. So uh, we all decided to be a church together. It's about 70 congregations that you know, contacted us and around the country, mm. and you know some of these guys, and um, and uh, very it grew very quickly, and not it didn't take long because there wasn't an AMIA, there wasn't an ACNA, there wasn't all these other things. For some of the charismatic, particularly high church charismatic Anglican Episcopal congregations in the United States, started contacting. What are you guys doing? What's up? How's this? You know, and uh, and they started. Yeah, I'm mean, uh, about sixty congregations of the Episcopal Church over in the '90s left the Episcopal Church to join the CEC
0: because
1: mm-hmm. uh, they, you know, didn't find the direction of the Episcopal Church conducive,
0: mm-hmm.
1: and uh, um, so the church really grew fast. Yeah, you know? yeah. and uh, so I was part of that from the beginning, and I I served as communication director for a long time, but that's that that was uh i started working for the church full time
0: yeah
1: and it and before that um so in 92 i was ordained a deacon 96 i was ordained to the priesthood we had a parochial seminary and um that was my process and i ended up i was on staff at my dad's church and then i served a uh we started a church in the desert in Hammett, california um, near near Palm Springs um, on the other side of San Jacinto, and um, I uh, I was pastor there for a couple of years. Mm. So I would I would work during the week in my dad's parish and then go a couple times a week to that church and lead that congregation, mm. which is still there. Yeah. And were uh, you
0: were you using the BCP? Did you, had you? kind of crafted your own prayer book no we did
1: you know the bcp is what i I felt like the bcp was the first christians in an american idiom you Mm -hmm. know i mean it was not perfect but it was the prayer of the first Christians set to um an american american and we and and you know um it just seemed to us that that was the direction that was most conducive to um discipling christians from charismatic and we uh, orthodoxy seemed like a bridge too far you know just in terms of no west you know we we would abandon our music we'd abandon so much of our our culture to go to that Mm -hmm. um and uh, even the intensity um of the length of services and the the church here and everything it just seemed like an american audience and i th- i think there was a right intuition both to use the bcp and not to become orthodox with the people that we were ministering to because um it's proven to, that that it's uh, quite difficult even with contemporary american culture to get people to do the anglican discipline <laughs> much less right. uh yeah. orthodox discipline and it, you know be, these kinds of things maybe people don't even understand what we're talking about but at the same time um and there there'll be other people that that would say well you, you shouldn't redeck more discipline and so forth and so on this is just a decision we made i we, yeah, we didn't know yeah. what we were doing so and when you um, say we
0: you mean your father and you and the other and family.
1: and 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 you know all these men and women that came forward and and were um you know uh joining us in this work um yeah. not just in this country but in the philippines and europe and south america Yeah. Um, And in Africa, East Africa. Yeah. Um, So, uh, yeah, it was very, very vital thing. Um, And it's had, you know, it's had its problems. And I'm speaking of the
0: Philippines. I've shown you this before, but let me share this screen with you. This this is your father. That is the Philippines celebrating. I'll I'll post this in the show notes so everyone can see it. Yeah. So here, Here he is. And I think you can see something about his spirit in this as well yeah. as yeah he was he was really state. something yeah 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 so this is for those who don't recognize this when you're looking at the image this is the moment in the liturgy we we call the fraction right where where he is he's broken the bread and a bishop mike owen is the one who who shared this with me who he has a very similar story maybe i'll I'll be able to have him and bishop beth on the podcast someday so how did you get from anything about this picture you want to comment on fucking
1: no i mean you know it just reminds me of you know yeah he very much understood it was it it just came natural to him you know he was baptized as a lutheran but raised mm. baptist you know and converted as an adult um you know in in a, you know in a pentecostal setting but uh, all of this you know as we began to study and and as we began to apply ourselves to you know how the faith and practice of you know the centuries of the church's experience it -hmm. just all came really naturally to him and he had an amazing gift that he had you know i mean we all have our weaknesses and he's not he's a perfect character but he's really charismatic personality but he also um really had a capacity to make the mysteries and the practices and the, the their understanding of caring for the poor and the way they read scripture, he was able to articulate it in very blue collar terms, you know, mm-hmm. to people, to everyone. And yeah. Very simple. He was a really, he was a master communicator. Yeah. Kind of right. like Brian, you know. Brian Zahn, yeah. Brian Zahn, yeah. yeah. And, you know, it just, he was a really master communicator. He and Brian, had they known each other, would have been fast friends. Dad's only about a decade older than mm-hmm than brian
0: but yeah so as as someone who's been your friend and an admirer for a, for a long time a few things strike me one as i said I, I think of you as a priestly presence but you you've named two other realities that i i think are right at the heart of your priestly work and i think it's fair to say the priestly calling that that all of us share i mean you know In our last Hebrews class, I I tried to make the argument that human being just is priestly because Christ, the high priest, is our life. And so you you can't be human without being drawn to the priestly in one way or another. Mm. To be ordained as a priest is just to agree to let your life remind everyone of what they're called to be. Agreed, 100%. So it strikes me that there's a relationship for you and for all of us between suffering and language that comes to focus in meditation on the person of Jesus, mm-hmm. but that you've talked a lot today about the ways in which you, you've moved, been moved by suffering your own and others and moved by words, mm-hmm. but your devotion is to him, right? you're, yes. you're drawn right. to, to this man, right. Jesus, right? So talk, yeah. talk a little bit about that. I mean, wax, theological for us for a moment about Uh what it means to be drawn to him and how suffering and words meet in him
1: okay well i'm just gonna because i just wrote a little thing about this oh please yeah i'm gonna just read that because i think it articulates for me we'll get to suffering piece i don't think this touches on suffering but there's plenty to talk about about that but (laughs) as a young man i discovered that Christianity has traditions other than than the one in which I was raised. I discovered without judgment of my beloved cradle tradition that the waters of Christian reflection and practice are deeper and it's wisdom more radiant that can be explored or beheld in a lifetime. And this is the thing that hits you. Mm. It's not capable. No one can get it all or see it all in a lifetime, Mm. even a long one. And for me, uh, these startling discoveries were always experiences of Jesus Christ, always about Jesus. So the words of the first Christians about the human God pointed me to his person, the bread and wine on the table, transfiguring music and converting iconography took me into an experience of him, of Christ, the poor, the prisoner, the stranger. All of these were glimpses of or encounters with Jesus. Mm. And as I learned and as I continue to learn to read scripture with the whole church, that's a, again, a process that no one can, can yep. complete in this life.
0: You can barely start it. Certainly yeah. can't complete
1: it. To read, to read scripture with the whole church, to join the time tried prayers of many eras and tribes and tongues and places. Humility about my tiny grasp of the immensities has settled somewhere in me somehow over time. Mm. it's mm. just it's too big yeah and on my better days humility keeps me in on joy rather than self-assurance and criticism that's i think where we want to be we want to be in awe and joy mm. not not self-assurance yeah. for certain and, and a critical spirit on a long nearly 40 years of pilgrimage it has been at times tempting to settle for the brilliance of the words or the beauty of the practices, to love the forms of dress or address to imagine one facet or aspect of the mystery as the whole of it, um, to find a place or tradition or language or tribe that excels all others in the great church. But this is, of course, to misunderstand the nature of the bride. that There's a perfect, you know, that there's, you know, one that's a success. Yes, that's right. Um, and more importantly, the bridegroom. And who is also our, the very symbol of humility. Jesus is what attracts me and all this goodness. And if it is not about Jesus, if the words are signed to not draw me deeper into the human God, and this is where we can talk about suffering, right? Specifically, the nail-wounded son of Mary, from eternity, also the maker of all worlds and what they enclose and i don't I don't know what all the world's enclos I know what this I know some of what this one does, yeah then any uh then if it if it's if it's not about Jesus, then any of the practicing of speaking of organizing of the faith, any staked claim exalted argument, better way or true church isn't compelling to me. That's not compelling to me. It's Jesus or I'm out. I've learned instead that I need every good thought and every good practice and every last tribe and every last tongue, all the spirit blessed movements and all the martyrs to see and follow Jesus. Never quite laying hold, ever seeking still his face, nothing less and nothing more than the whole mystery of Christ is embodied in the people of God. So. That's been, that's, I mean, in a nutshell, and we could say more about any or all of that, but that is, Jesus is, is what, is what compels me Mm -hmm. in all of it, Um, you know, and, and I, it's very easy to get caught up in in, this writer or this prayer or this practice or this, um, but, you know, it's the person of Jesus. That's the compelling thing for me. Mm -hmm. I mean, I I go and speak for myself um and uh so i i don't want to get bogged down you know in any one thing and
0: and mistake it for him for him you said something and, early in this conversation about and it was just a a passing comment but how jesus became larger for you in that mm-hmm. in that period you know hearing Ferris' sermon reading gilquist and yeah. and the rest your your, your classes At ORU, in that period of your life, you said he was getting bigger for me, and I, I, I thought at the time, like that's a remarkable way. Like you've always known him, Mm -hmm. but your understanding of him has grown. His, you know, in the language of Scripture, you, he was magnified for you. Yeah, yeah. But it remains the same one you knew. He remains the same one you knew as a child, and as we discussed. You know, just recently. I mean, this, this is one of the reasons I love Maximus and Origin and Ereugena, That line of thought is that yeah. Gregory, that he is always larger than we've seen. Yeah. Us, right. No. No matter what we've seen, no matter how much how expanded our vision of him is compared to what it was a decade ago or two, it's nothing compared to what it will be.
1: Yeah. I mean, I barely know my. You know, I barely know myself or my wife. Yeah. You know, I, I can know some things about Jesus as a human, mm-hmm. but I don't know everything. Yeah. And and when we start talking about God, <laughs> of course, you know. Yeah. Um, so uh no, you know, yeah, you get to the point where he I mean, but it, it is beautiful and exciting and and motivating and, and uh inspiring Absolutely. to begin to see more of who he is and to you know to the point where he becomes uh you know for you uh very much more all um and in all things um Mm -hmm. than you than you knew um and there's something about it though that like for instance you know Irenaeus uses the the image of the mosaic and yeah 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 floor and you've got the hypothesis and and you put it together the scriptures put it together and i and and you can put the scriptures together in a way that makes the image of a fox and you but you can also do the image of a king right Um, And I I just found that I needed the whole church to help me. I needed Catholics. I needed people like Joe Festa, who opened up John six to me in a way that I'd never read it before Mm -hmm. that way. um, You know, I'd never seen, I mean, I'd heard many, many times, you know, if you eat this bread and drink, if you eat my flesh and drink my blood, you will have eternal life. But it didn't didn't register to me that that was the Eucharist until I read it Mm -hmm. with, you know, Christians who come from traditions who read it that way. And, and so it's a scriptural journey. It's an ecumenical journey. Mm-hmm. You know, I need the whole church yeah. and, and, and I need all the scriptures. And, you know, I, I think it's Irenaeus, I, I think who says, you know, we, we don't understand the scripture until we find it in the flesh of Jesus. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> it, that's a journey. Yeah. right and but but it's also about meeting jesus i have a, you know i have a, a friend who comes to our church and who's you know uh, we rescued from the streets and he's got he struggles with schizophrenia and i find jesus in him mm-hmm. you know and uh you know um and, and the, the young men that i visit in prisons um i discover in that place where there's no cell phones and the world is actually very crystal clear existence is crystal clear behind when you hear those bar, you know, those doors shut and everything, something becomes much more quickening. You encounter Christ in that place. Um, and, in uh, people who are um, on their deathbed.
0: Yeah. Um,
1: yeah. And uh, people who, I mean, I don't know how, I mean, who's listening to this or whatever, but I see a lot of, I mean, I see a lot of hard, hard stuff. You know, some someone, they've just taken, they hung themselves in the, the basement and they've taken their lifeless body and laid it out on the floor. Or a young man has hung himself from his bedpost and, you know, lying lifeless. Um, it, it's, uh, it, the world takes us in difficult situations and places where, um, you know, um, where suffering is is happening.
0: Mm -hmm. Um, and And we come there i think we come to those places of suffering armed with this desire for jesus this delight in him and trusting the the words he's given us i mean that that seems to me to be you know here we're both both you and i are deeply influenced by robert jensen on this point yeah and for for jens as you know like there's this this through line. God, he says, is a conversation, right? That we exist at all is due to the fact that God invited us into that conversation, invited mm-hmm. us to speak up, right? He says we, we are creatures who exist because we are spoken of and spoken to and invited to speak. And for him, then, and he's drawn on Augustine and others, the sacraments are visible words. Mm-hmm. They're words, but words that have been thinged and vice versa like things that have been worded in the, the the blessing of the eucharist is not just bread and wine but bread and wine shared with particular words of grace and i i i think perhaps that's near the heart of what it means to be a priest to yeah, come well, it absolutely
1: a- is we just consecrated a, a priest for our diocese in new york on saturday and our bishop Uh, gregor ortiz was talking about how um the congregation was receiving the sacrament of these this man who was being made a priest but that that the priest was what was happening to the priest is the same thing that happens to bread and wine you know he his body is being made the presence of jesus for you yes and i think um and I do think you, you, um, it's it, it can be wordless, right? I mean, especially oh. in deep suffering, you know, it's just it's just the body of Christ present in the form of you know someone who's been ordained to be His presence, you know, mm-hmm. as we all are, as you said earlier, right? But that you know that the priest has this kind of um, you know constant vocation to this. He's, you know, he's not necessarily hammering nails or 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 performing arterial surgery or uh helping a, a woman um uh, give birth or a woman, you know who's uh leading a corporation whatever doesn't have time mm-hmm. to stop you yeah. know but we at you know there are some of us within the church that have time to attend to him always or almost always because we have you know some of us have our families and so forth and so on but um some of us have jobs too but but, uh (laughs) but you know you're called out to be present um, to the community as uh the body and and a body of christ and i think um sometimes in the the deepest sufferings you know just
0: sitting you know that's right and i think one comment then i'll ask you to to reflect on what you've said about those who sex successfully complete suicide and how how we're present there. I mean, you, you've, mm-hmm. written, you've written about that, and I and I, I want to hear your thoughts on it. But I, I think okay. one, what and you can agree or disagree, and rephrase as, as you see fit. But what mm-hmm. I would say in those moments of deep suffering, when silence is what's called for by us, mm-hmm. right? when we we've prayed the prayers the tradition has given us. That's important. And, and we're left with the Psalms. nothing else to say but the Psalms, right? Nothing else to say but but what Scripture has given us and the tradition is recognized.
1: And it's, it's surprising how often that's enough.
0: Uh, yeah, yeah. But I do think that there is a way in which our silence, and here I'm so influenced by Jensen, that our silence is a leaving room for the word that God can speak. God can, can speak. Run. No question about it. Yeah. So it isn't... In the, it isn't sheer silence at the end it's the silence in which the still no. small voice can be heard yes yeah no No doubt
1: i mean one of my mentors said you know when the deeply difficult deeply tragic things happen um a silence um just comes naturally that only god can speak into right which which means i mean you know we can read the the text of scripture um but uh you know we there's nothing to say um i can't say but god can speak right um so yeah and i I mean i think a good word of wisdom to anyone who encounters and you will wherever whatever you do or whoever you are and wherever you live will encounter deep suffering your friends and family uh neighbors co-workers um you know you don't feel like you have to say anything it's your presence and you're holding their hand you're sitting next to them and and just being in solidarity with them and the shiva that they're sitting um is um is enough you know and yes. often what can come out of our mouths unintentionally um can can do do harm so it's you know it's important um to just uh, you know let that that space be open for God to speak, but you know particularly when it comes to suicide, yeah. Speak about. I, I do us. think. I mean, I think one of the things, the components that's missing from all of this, and I think it's a component that's missing from even from our understanding of God. himself, um, and and why people resile have, I should say, uh, you know, feel um, resistance to people like Maximus who. Who are constantly speaking about how we are gods and so forth and so on. Yes, yes. Um, is people resist that? Um, it, that we could become gods because they're thinking about becoming like the genie in Aladdin, or you know, you know, um, to become God is to become the most, the poorest, you know, among mm. us. Yes, by His nature. That's why when he comes into the world, he's in the feed trough with the impoverished family and not in not in you know the castle and so forth and so on. because, as Chris says so eloquently in various places, you know, that's the only way that he could actually reveal his true nature to us is to come amongst us in poverty and weakness because that's the nature of God. If he became a, a strong man or an intelligent man or you know this type of thing um You know, then we would mistake the nature of God. So something about suicide, I think, um that we neglect is is the poverty
0: mm-hmm. of a decision like that. Mm-hmm. Um, well, it's it's a hard limit for us. You know, yeah. the, it's a hard limit for us in every sense, and certainly our theologies as well. Yeah. And that's where it's at their limit. You know, I. I I'd said the other day in a conversation with someone that theology at its limit either becomes poetry or nonsense. But I think it can become poetry only if we trust that there's a word speaking beyond the limits of our words. And that we can trust people past our limit of, of their will and choice and past the limit of our will and choice for them. And so at the place of limitation,
1: something that's occurred to me and experiencing what the family and friends and loved ones are going through around the event of of, um, successful um, suicide is um, to remind them that God is with the poor. Mm -hmm. And I don't think that a person could be in a more impoverished state than the notion that they have to take their own life. That's, you know. And that is a state of unique poverty. Yes. And the scriptures teach us that God is with the poor, so God does not abandon a human being that is in the moment of that choice or having made that choice. Um, and that's a mystery, but there. But it's something I think as Christians, the only way to approach that's the trust in the God who is with um that person um and um uh, and as he always is dying with the person who is dying um, yeah. you, know, you know and
0: this this uh, is and this connects to something else i wanted to ask you about i, I think we often sentimentalize talk about child likeness because in our in our culture you know children are the center of our lives the center of our attention in many ways that's a wonderful thing I, I don't mean to disparage it but in the ancient world to be a child was was not to, to be regarded as innocent so much as just utterly powerless uh, right? yeah worthless poor, poor yeah poor they In can't, the,
1: they can't work they can't things. do what we need you know they can't yeah. provide um, their their drain <laughs> yeah uh, yeah
0: so when I'm Jesus nice. when Jesus takes the little child and says unless you become like this one, he's He's not making some hallmark Thomas Kincaid sentimental call you know, to purity and playfulness these, Although, little, again,
1: these little cherubs yeah yeah it's yeah, like yeah, yeah. Like
0: it, It's something far more disturbing, prophetically overturning than that, right it's you you have to come to this place of poverty and allow playfulness and joy and awe to arise from that. Right. because
1: so, the nature because because that's the nature of god yes that's what he that's what he's that's what he's trying to say, yes, and uh you know of course you know this isn't a you know this isn't a council to not you know not be concerned uh you know about someone who's facing this and is deep mental health issues and and so forth and so on we want everyone to get uh anyone who's thinking of of um pondering have had thoughts about taking their own life to speak out and seek help and seek um uh affirmation it, go to the people that you know are the most compassion filled in your life mm-hmm. and and turn to them and uh and and talk mm-hmm. about what's going on because of course we don't want to see anyone take their life but we are saying we are recognizing that in this world we're not going to leave it outside the walls of this conversation, or outside the walls of the church, that in fact people do make this decision. Yes, and 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 are even if it's true. not
0: really their decision. And in, it, it, it,
1: in, in many cases, it's just beyond really. There, they, there's there. It's an impossible. It's for impossible for them not to. In that sense,
0: mm-hmm.
1: you know, God is still with them. You know, he they've they, uh, unfortunately we got the High Middle Ages. We've got you know even up in you know to our time this teaching that you know they're just abandoned by god and you know um and and no rights of the church are going to be set over them and there's no you know blessing and so forth and so on and and uh and 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 if there's a you know if there's a doctrine of i mean that's a doctrine of demons right i mean you know it's yeah. just that's a it's a blasphemy yeah. to to say that someone who in god's image god abandons any you know any of his images to you know, um, it's a, there's no grace left for them and, and so forth. And so I just want
0: to say, how do you know, <laughs> you know. How, how could you know, right? <laughs> Not just how do you know, you know, but how could you know? Yeah. I mean, of course. It, yeah. I mean, we, we could talk about that at least. I hope those who are hearing whether they themselves feel at risk or they have loved ones they know are at risk, that they recognize, you know, the everlasting arms are always underneath, right? No matter mm-hmm. how deep we fall, as you've said, you the son of God happened. has fallen further, much, much, much further. And I want to, I want to come to this, this point about child likeness. I'm going to show you another image. You'll recognize this. Okay. You shared it with us yesterday in the group text. Here you yeah, are yeah, yeah, at, yeah, yeah. at Holy Redeemer uh, surrounded mm-hmm, by kids. Mm-hmm, tell, mm-hmm. tell us what we're seeing here. This is um, just before our
1: gospel reading. Um and in, in, in the liturgy that we do, about a little more than a third of the way through the service, about a third of the way through the service, we hear the gospel. And this is in our church. The children go and have their own music and their own lessons and so forth during the sermon, and then they come back, join all of the families for the Eucharist. They're gone about. They're gone for about a third of the service, and um, and so we bless them before they leave. Um, and this, this is some of our children. Um, we have many, many more, but on any given Sunday, uh, here we are, and we do this. And it's one of my favorite parts of our, our liturgy is to the mm-hmm. bless them. But sometimes, sometimes I just sh- share something, um, you know, kind of just personal with them real quickly and bless them and send them on. But sometimes I give them a little sermon. And yesterday, uh, I gave them a little sermon.
0: That's um, that's what I was hoping. So now fun, I'm going to put fun, you on the fun spot fun. with this, but I'd like yeah. you to just preach that sermon to us now, if you've got got it with you. I can send sure. you the text if you don't. And 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 do the do the full the full performance because I know it involves. Oh uh, yeah, money. you are putting me on the spot now. <laughs> Listen, this this is essential. This is
1: essential. <laughs> You're funny. Oh my God! Well, my children will be uh, horrified because uh, they don't think their father has much of a voice, and some of that's because some of them really have amazing voices. But so basically, you know, what I said to the children is, "Do you like songs?" You know, and of course, you know, children nod. Nah, they like songs, and you know what? 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 What's your favorite song? When the little girl said, "Twinkle, twinkle, little star," and so I said, "Well, let's sing a little bit of that." You know. Mm. And another boy named a, a rap song and, and I didn't know it. So he spit a few bars of the rap song. Um, and, uh, and so um, we moved on. I, I said, do you know that the Bible has songs? And, you know, some of them were nodding. There are songs at the beginning, you know, and uh song of Miriam and so forth. And you got songs at the end, you know, the new song of revelation five And then there's a book of songs in the middle of the Bible. And one of the little boys said, yeah, the Psalms. So we have good good teachers at Redeemer and good parents. And so I said, anyway, today's song is Psalm 40. Mm. And so I said, you know, um, I waited patiently for the Lord. He inclined and heard my cry. He lifts me up out of the pit. Out of the miry clay, I will sing, sing a new song. I will sing, sing a new song. And uh, so they're listening and smiling and what's going on with Father Ken. Gosh, I um, and it, anyway, I said, that's one way of singing Psalm 40, right? And then there are other ways too. And I didn't say this to them, but it was the adults, you know, like, Taze has some beautiful settings in Psalm 40, and there are others. But uh, we're told that the song was written by David, says, you know, Psalm of David. And I said, David was a shepherd and a warrior and a musician and a king. And this song came from his heart and mind, from the way he experienced life and God. Mm -hmm. And when other people heard the song, it meant so much to them that they made this song a song that everyone, And their nation sang. And, and, you know, we kind of do the same thing. Uh, Not quite as intentionally and powerfully, um, but we do. And so they learned it by heart and prayed it and they kept singing it. Then one day after hundreds of years of singing the song together as a people, a human was born whose parents named him Jesus. And their child was God, but they didn't know that. Mm -hmm. And no one knew that back then. They taught Jesus this song. And I didn't say this in what I wrote, but I, I explained to the little ones, like Mary taught him not just how to speak, but to sing, right? Sing and and to sing all their songs, right? Not just this song, but all their songs, because you know, that's what children learned. They learned how to sing the songs of their people. Mm-hmm. Um uh, and um Jesus prayed the songs with his family and community. And Jesus kept singing the song as he grew older. And in time, it became clear that the song was about him. Became clear to him Mm -hmm. and eventually became clear to other people that the song was about him. That all the songs were about him. That he was the song that his nation sung. He was the lyric. He was the music. Jesus is the song that we sing. And because you are baptized into Jesus' life, this song and prayer is also your song. You can learn it and sing it or pray it like Jesus did. So we get to sing the songs that Jesus sang. And here's something even more amazing, because Jesus is in you. This song is also about you, as are all the songs of scripture.
0: Mm.
1: Christ is in you and you, our God song. And I bless you in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. And I go around and yeah. lay my hands on every head. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. And then we preached a 20 minute version of <laughs> that to the adults with a lot of references to um, the suffering of God, but also sacrifice and. You know, how that whole conversation in the scriptures starts to get overturned by Psalms like this and by the prophets and how, you know, when we, th- this is a so. but my point to the children and the adults always is this is this communal book. This is a social book. You can sit down with it and read it by yourself and the Holy spirit can speak to you through it, but that's only true in a very narrow sense yeah yeah you know it's that's a that's a minority point mm-hmm. that everybody makes maximal <laughs> yeah. the maxim the the maximal reality is it's a social book that we read with the whole church yeah. and when we read it with the whole church, we start to see that uh you know you have to have the community to read it well mm-hmm. um and one of the things we see is that the author of Hebrews also sang and prayed. this song and does something really interesting with it you know when it gets to verse six as we saw when we were teaching hebrews last week which is when christ came into the world he said of himself well what (laughs) you know so part of that is like what does that mean well part of that is christ was in david Right. I mean, part of that is just a straightforward reality of absolutely, but, but, but somehow he's also, and, and when he did come into the world, he was, he definitely had the psalm on his lips at some point. Right. Yes, for sure. And of course, there's the Greek version of the psalm. Hebrew could be interpreted as he gave me an ear and and, mm-hmm. and and different things, but the Greek text says he gave me a body. Gave me a body, you know, to do his and, will. Yeah, to do his will, and that his body was like the 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 wisdom of God was written mm-hmm. within his body, mm-hmm. and because the wisdom of God was written in his body, the wisdom of God can be
0: written in ours. And is not, not only can be, but, but is, is. yeah. I mean, you, you, a moment ago, you said, you know, Christ was in David. Yeah. And that's, that's language that's familiar to us, obviously, but I I don't know that we stop to think, well, how, how, how is Christ in David? And I think it's true, you know, in many ways, but one of the ways is Christ is in David as that song. Yeah. Christ is in David as the wisdom, the cunning, the skill That gives rise to that song. Yeah. So that as David's writing it, you know, artists often talk about this, this sense of inspiration, something coming to them. Yeah. Well, who's it coming from? Yeah. We know who that is. If if we're right, if the gospel is true, we know who that is.
1: Yeah. And so it's not just that Christ was in David, right? Or that Jesus Christ the nail scarred son of mary who frames all the worlds and speaks all things that we see into existence says these prayers and this word is in his mouth mm-hmm. but when the another way of understanding that one one way you could say when christ comes to the world david when christ comes to the world jesus when christ comes into the world he says we are also praying Absolutely. this prayer and he's also given us a body Mm-hmm. And he's also written his law on our heart, and yeah. and and to to we we've also come to do his will, so mm-hmm. you know it is all one right and in this sense and and but but obviously and we want to be clear because of this particular person that's right David is Christ, and because of this particular person we are Christ, mm-hmm. not some you know essence or thing that's out there that we can all get a hold of. No, because of this person. That's right. You know, and uh and so this can also be true of us as we pray. Yeah. Uh, the psalm. And and so to me, and you can see in this that it's about reading the scripture with the church. It's about uh seeking the face of Jesus by listening to all of these different voices. Over 21 centuries now, and in the centru- in the millennia prior, you know, to, um, to hear um, and, and to be able to see Jesus. and we have the full image of not the fox, but of, of the king. And that image is not of you know someone whose might is being imposed on everyone. It's uh, not the kind of king, it's not the kind of king. And, you know, Martin Luther King was real clear about this too. Not the kind of king, Martin Luther King Jr. Who's, yeah. you know, whose life we celebrate today, not the kind of king that you are thinking of or that you yeah. have in your, your head. This is the, the one who says, you know, you must become like a child because um, I am That's who That's who I am. You must become the servant, all these other people, Lord, this thing over. I was just, we were just, that, that was our scripture. And I, I'm listening to that scripture and I'm thinking to myself, do people really understand on Saturday, we not on Sunday, but at the ordination, that's the scripture, right? It's that you know, I'm among you as one who serves, right. Yeah. <laughs> you know, um, I, I was like, wait a minute, that wasn't Sunday service. That was, a, I was in a Saturday liturgy that I was a part of, Good. but you know, you, you know, and I'm listening to it. And I'm like, do we really believe that? Is it, you know, that we don't, you know, that, that's we we enter in this, not to lord over everyone, but to really like wait at the table, like to actually have everybody else sit down and, you know, put the meal in front of them and then say, "Hey, do you need some more water and stuff like that? That's God. Absolutely. Right. And to become poor. That's right. So that the whole thing can be enriched. Yep. Right. So, so this is the one whose face we're seeking. That's right. And whose face, you know, when we're paying attention to the whole the conversation of the church um, and entering into it, that's the, the, the magnification. And we mm-hmm. begin to see his face Amen. who's with the suicide, who's with the poor, who's with the child, who's um, who's with the servants.
0: Yeah. So as you mentioned, we're recording this on on MLK day on MLK's mm-hmm. day. I I shared this on the blog earlier. Let me, let me read just a bit of this to you and get your response to it. So it turns out that he wrote a a pretty well-known article kind of describing his conversion to nonviolence that was published in the Christian century in April, April 13th, 1960. 1960. 1960. So this, this article when, when he first submitted it, the editor whose name I can't remember Read it and then wrote back to him and said, shouldn't you include or couldn't you include something about your own personal sufferings, how your own imprisonments and the bomb threats against your family, mm. the meetings you've taken, how the, the the attempts on your life, how those have shaped your vision of nonviolence. So the editor sends him that, that letter. And, of course, this is before there's email or text messages. So King gets it, takes some time and writes four additional paragraphs and and sends those back to the editor at the Christian Century. But he doesn't get them back in time to be included in the article. So the article is published without these. But at the archive, the King archive at Stanford, we can read these, which much of which is online. We can read these additional paragraphs. I I posted them. Fascinating. But I want you to hear, I'm going to read the last two paragraphs and let let you respond to them as we we wrap up here. My personal trials have also taught me the value of unmerited suffering. Oh, uh, I can't just read the last two. Hold on, I got to go back. Okay. Um, Due to my involvement in the struggle for the freedom of my people, I've known very few quiet days in the last few years. I've been arrested five times and put in Alabama Mm -hmm. jails. And of course- if if you haven't read Letter from Birmingham Jail, you need to do yeah. that. My home has been bombed twice. A day seldom passes that my family and I are not the recipients of threats of death. Mm. I've been the victim of a near fatal stabbing. So mm. in a real sense, I have been battered by the storms of persecution. I must admit that at times I have felt that I could no longer bear such a heavy burden and have been tempted to retreat to a more quiet and serene life. Mm. But every time such a temptation appeared, something came to strengthen and sustain my determination. Something came, right, out of the wisdom of his his heart. I have learned now, This this is, gosh, what a line. I wish I could hear it in his voice. I have learned now that the master's burden is light precisely when we take his yoke upon us. The master's burden is light precisely when we take his yoke upon us. My personal trials have also taught me the value of unmerited suffering. As my sufferings mounted, I soon realized that there were two ways that I could respond to my situation either to react with bitterness or seek to transform the suffering into a creative force. I decided to follow the latter course. Recognizing the necessity for suffering, I have tried to make of it a virtue, if only to save myself from bitterness. I have attempted to see my personal ordeals as an opportunity to transform myself and heal the people involved in the tragic situation, which now obtains. I have lived these last few years with the conviction that unearned suffering is redemptive, but notice. So, you know, MLK, as you, as you well know, I mean, he's been cleaned up and popularized, you know, made palatable in in all kinds of ways, but It's this devotion to Jesus that's most striking. Listen to this last paragraph and then weigh in with with whatever you'd like to comment on. There are some who still find the cross a stumbling block, and others consider it foolishness. But I am more convinced than ever before that it is the power of God unto social and individual salvation. So like the Apostle Paul, I can now humbly yet proudly say, I bear in my body the marks of the Lord Jesus. The suffering and agonizing moments through which I have passed over the last few years have drawn me closer to God more than ever before. I am convinced of the reality of a personal God,,
1: mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. yeah, yeah, He's the real deal, you
0: know and, I think uh, so, yes. yeah, um you know,
1: someone in whom um the word of God, um, is made present, um, to us, a priest, a priest, absolutely. Um, in that sense and a prophet, you know, and, you know, by nomenclature, a King. Um, so, you know, uh, but, um, you know, of course he's speaking before the real, I mean, there's been tremendous intergenerational suffering. From which he is speaking. Yeah. Yes. Yes. Um And it's before, you know. My God, it's before some of the real suffering. Even I mean, Medgar Evers and the the little girls in the church and um, the civil rights workers in Mississippi and so forth. There's a lot there's a lot there's a lot more to happen and Malcolm X and I I mean there's a lot and then of course now you know in our own time uh, continuing and George Floyd and and others this young man who was a teacher in Los Angeles just this week yes um so what's really interesting to me is the way that this experience and articulated experience of suffering understood as in Christ and with Christ, as Pharaoh had said, Christ was, we were suffering with Christ, but Christ was suffering with us. Mm-hmm. So there was this communion and suffering. Not that suffering is from God or a good thing or whatever, but, you know, it can be converted only by God into something that's good. Into that creative force. Um, you know, he converts our over. murder of God into the greatest, you know, gift uh the cosmos has ever received only god can do that so we don't suffer you know uh we don't seek out suffering suffering just comes and and suffering comes to him but this articulation of it somehow became knit into the to the fabric and flesh of the black community in our country and continues to govern its response to real severe injustice. Um, There hasn't been, Mm -hmm. you know, as Baldwin and others have said, you know, there hasn't been this kind of armed resistance, (laughs) you know, it's always been because of people like Dr. King, it's always been sort of converted into, you know, Hey, let's get this fixed. Let's do justice. You know, let's pay attention to what's going on, um, and uh, recognize that there is such a thing as um, as violence that's being done against those black bodies, and and it, and it hasn't developed as it has in other cultures, into in Ireland and uh, um, in, in the Middle East and other places, into an armed resistance to to oppression um because of people like this
0: mm-hmm. um people yeah like cornell them. west talks about this quite a bit sure. it, you know it's 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 astounding that what chattel slavery did in america was create not a terrorist movement but a spirituality
1: yeah and it's it spiritual. seems
0: a jesus really, loving song singing spiritual yeah
1: i mean e- even though just like in, in you know uh in any portions of American society there's violence and you know abuse and and um you know and, and these kind of things and gangs and so forth um when it comes to sort of like we're going to resist the whole thing they resist with words with uh peaceful actions with protest, with um you know nonviolent resistance they don't take up arms even though there might be violence you know between citizens there's not like we're going to gang up on we're going to you know sort of take take arms up against this thing and that's because they they've had this leadership you know i had
0: i had this realization the other day that's right they it, they've had priestly like i've said this over and over in this conversation but priests are those who stand apart from us to show us what we are if we're true to ourselves yeah they're they're different from us only in the ways that they are calling attention to our commonality. To th- this is what we all share. Yeah. But I I had this thought the other day. It's it struck me out of the blue. We were in East Tennessee and driving past the Andrew Jackson's Hermitage. And man, out of nowhere, this this line came to me. All Americans live in the flat at the corner of Andrew Jackson Highway and Martin Luther King Jr. Boulevard. That's that's where our lives are. Yeah, 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 yeah. We're all crowded into the same house. Yeah. And we're right at the corner of a, a way of violence and cruelty that appropriates Christian language for incredibly selfish, exploitative ends and a saintly tradition, a singing tradition that has arisen from, the bodies of slaves and the bodies yeah. of 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 the abused, the bodies yeah. like the body that's hanging outside of Jerusalem between two thieves, like that that the song of God breaks forth from that poverty, and it that's always been true, and it's true in our history. and it's true in our national history. It will be true in our personal history. And only if we become childlike in our poverty in all of our povertys. Can we sing that song the way that you sing it to those, mm-hmm. those kids?
1: Yeah, I mean, you know, and of course you and I both would agree that, you know, someone like Cornel West can say all this, you know, far better than than you and I can express it. It's of it's enough. I, I think it's enough, or as Martin Luther King has, it's enough for us to acknowledge their priesthood. Yes. In speaking these words to us, that's all we were that's all we're trying to do. Go listen to Cornell yeah, West at youtube YouTube, you know Wheaton College and Cornell West. listen to that talk um I'm trying to think of that one that he gave in church uh, about a year ago was, and I, I i i can't remember the exact location, but go you know Google Cornell West and listen to two or three of his talks mm. and uh you know hear you know that authentic voice that speaks from uh, that tradition, um, and refuses violence, yes. which is a, a deeply Christ-like, um, disposition, mm-hmm. you know, um, and that's what I, 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 that's where the witness comes. I think that's
0: right. And I, I think the, the key here is, is not simply at, at least what I want you to read. Of course, on a day like this, what we what we do is gesture toward those whose voices need to be heard, for sure. Yeah, that's all, and uh, draw attention to their suffering and to their words. Yeah. I, I do think it's worth underscoring, right? That for West as well as for MLK, there's there's not there there is a true attention to Jesus, and one of the things. That's it. And this this may take me may take us a place we don't want to go. But I think there was a way in which the people that brought me up, that there was a love for Jesus there, but there was a suspicion about the love that black Americans had for Jesus. And that, well, anyone other than white middle class Americans of our particular tribe had for Jesus, a suspicion that it was about that the social gospel was no gospel at all and and what i've what i've learned what yeah. i think what i would say if i if i can be this bold what i would say the living jesus has taught me is that it was my vision of him that was distorted not theirs that 100%. when 100% when mlk is talking about the cross he understood it in a way that the folks who trained me did not and he knew it because he lived it in a way that for us we were trying to escape and unaware of even how we were participating in the crucifixion of others. And I think, you know, West, who interestingly enough, his father was, was, uh, was here in Tulsa. I mean, West spent years here in Tulsa and this, of course, the city's marked as all cities are by a history of, of racial violence. But I, I think today, in in light of our conversation, what I would want to underscore is, you know, these men and women, you know, certainly we're we're talking about MOK and west witness to him but there's a whole there's a great cloud of witnesses there that this tradition that MOK represents that he embodies is a tradition that is devoted to Jesus to the teaching of Jesus to the person of Jesus to the cross and we can be priests only if we're true to that vision Father Kim, thank you for this. Yeah, like
1: you know, uh, you know, I mean, there's so many good voices. Um, James Cohn, of course, mm. um, is one of them, Howard Thurman, um the uh, uh I, I don't know, if people know M. Sean Copeland, yep. um, but uh Jenny Willie Jennings. Um, these are all people that are voted to it, I mean, it's nicene Christology Absolutely. that these that these people are devoted to it is a genuine devotion to the risen jesus yes. martin luther king uh, uh cornell west and and the reason we sometimes in our communities that we grew up in have have resisted that is because you know when they look at the world around them they see it necessarily through a different lens than we do and they don't sound like us when it comes to you know uh some social questions some political questions some economic questions and so forth and so on and to to go from there and say well their christology has to be lacking is yeah. just a hubris right it's just a it's um, it, it's a prejudice uh, that speaks that way um it's not a true encounter with their voices right their own
0: witness so um yeah yeah yeah, yeah. i mean so much to say about that for sure but i i hope uh, i hope people we've been going earn. for
1: so long i mean part of the problem is i started out telling my story which i don't know if i was supposed to go for 20 no or no whatever. that's exactly
0: what we what we want
1: <laughs> that's exactly what i spent so much time talking about me which is just like as boring as hell but anyway it is not um although uh, hell is boring your story <laughs> uh but uh yeah so there I mean you know I'm I, I'm trying to articulate um all of this in a book called Vulnerable God which will come out from from Baker um and really it's about the past um decade of writing uh, particularly in the social media and sometimes blogs and sometimes other electronic um like sojourners and and um and christianity today and other places um trying to articulate a vision of jesus uh that we've touched on here and there about his humility his poverty and um his humanity shows us his humanity shows us that god is really different than we conceived not like the greek not like the greek gods and uh, or the gods that we project in our contemporary superheroes and so forth it's really different
0: well and and just to I, i want i want you to finish that thought, but I just just to underscore what we were just saying about M O K and his Christology, you know, there's yeah, that yeah. early piece he did, and this is from the 40s, on the divinity and humanity of Christ that I I was taught as proof that he was unorthodox. Because he he says something to the effect of, you know, the Orthodox understanding of Jesus as being infused with a metaphysical quality is readily I readily deny something, something to that effect. Oh. It's not a direct quote. But yeah. I think what if if you read the sermon in context and read in the context of his life and you mm-hmm. let the rest of his life inform what he's saying there, I think it's pretty clear. What he means is if you think Jesus being God means there was a metaphysical quality that altered his humanity in, into something unrecognizable, something superior, you fundamentally un- misunderstood who he is. And he's right. And he's. A hundred percent right. If you yeah. think God is a way of naming some metaphysical superiority, you've misheard the gospel right at the root of it, right? So I think that that shows just how poorly we've listened, not just to the black community or the black prophetic tradition, but to him in particular. And we yeah. and I, I think there are reasons for that, right? That we we could get into, but I, I think what you're what you're doing, calling our attention to the vulnerable God, is to say. There is no metaphysical quality that somehow alters Jesus' humanity into some other thing. God is living this fully human life in all of its vulnerabilities. That's who God is.
1: Yeah, there's not a God behind God that's more like Superman or more like Apollo or Mars or something, you know, um, and more like the gods we project. No, that this is... God showing us what He is really like. Mm-hmm. And He doesn't bring disease, He heals. He doesn't oppress, He sets free. He, he doesn't kill, steal, or destroy. He raises and um and renews and restores uh humanity and the creation. Uh, but it's through a tremendous, tremendous poverty. In humility and service um that we can we we just get glimpses of, and because of the whole pull of the world and the pull of the fall and so forth, we have to constantly be reminded, no you know this is what God's like, and so one of the things I've tried to do on social media and in my these meditations, which we're you know collecting into this book is um you know to subvert yep. <laughs> social media. Um, and even in the way that I respond to people in the comments and so forth, trying to teach wisdom. And um, as Cornel West would remind us, uh Aeschylus said, you know, all wisdom comes from memory. And mm-hmm. so the church has a memory of God in the flesh of Jesus. And when I say that, I mean the whole people of God, you know, um, throughout the history of the world. Um and uh and so you know trying to pay attention to that and when we do wisdom you know does uh, despite our own <laughs> frailties uh break through um here and there um and we we get a little closer to wisdom than folly which
0: <laughs> amen to that Father, <laughs> thank you for this can you i often ask my guests to pray but i'm going to ask you to speak a blessing over us if you would
1: yeah Yeah, Lord, we just ask you to come uh, by your poverty, uh, by your weakness, by your humility, by your childlikeness, um, by your willingness uh, to suffer with us, um, by your cross, um, by your uh, life, um, by your healing, by your deliverance, uh, by your restoration, uh, wherever we are, wherever the hearers of these words are. Uh, in this moment, wherever they're located physically, but also where they're located mentally and what's happening in their world, that they could come face to face with you and 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 see the uncreated light of the Father that's shining from your face, um, because uh, the Spirit has shed this light uh, in our hearts. Um, and I
0: bless you in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen.